Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of What Would The Smart Party Do? And with me as always is my good friend King Baz. Hello mate, how you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks for asking. So I think this week we're going to talk about uh, how to be a better player or what makes a good player or how to be a player at convention games, that kind of stuff. So you've not uh, been a player at uh, many conventions recently but as you've chosen more to GM, is there something that's uh, preventing you from being a player there or something holding you back? little bit to be honest and you know over recent years it's just about managing your skill set I think and uh, uh, and going with your expertise I I don't play uh, conventions as much as I used to Um, I still get some in absolutely but you know I'm one of those one of those players and the GM is a type of player isn't it Um, but I'm sort of 99% behind the screen metaphorically um, and maybe 1% out there actually rolling the dice and stating the actions Um, I'd like to play more I would and I think that one of the reasons I've done more GMing than playing is I think I'm better at it for a start. Um, and also because you get, I've always thought, you have more control over your over your game because you're, you're physically running it, you know, it's your scenario. Um, I think that's less true these days with more modern games and I'd be really interested to hear because I know that you play a bunch of more modern games than I normally do. It'd be really interesting to hear your experiences from cons about how much the player an individual person out of a table of five or six can really alter the direction of a game and, and have some kind of level of control over the quality of it and their own enjoyment. So that's why I haven't done it so much recently, um, but I've certainly spent a lot of time talking to players about what they liked, what they didn't like, and, and you can't help when you sit there for four hours but observe some group dynamics, and um, that's what I'm going to bring to the discussion today anyway, mate. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that we probably need to try and break down we as a group not me and you uh, is this sort of idea that the the gm's the sole arbiter of all power and fun and it's we've discussed before it's up to everybody around the table to try and make something of it but i think really there's there's been too many times when people will myself included will just sort of sit back and wait for the gm to make things better so i think the first thing probably is uh as not just from a game's point of view in terms of games that allow more player authority or don't have a GM, so the player authorities are widened out. I think part of it is just breaking down that old learned behaviour from the 1980s of the GMs in charge, and you have to sit quietly and do what he says. So quite how we do that, apart from the normal human interactions, I'm not quite sure. But I think it's probably worth people just realising that if you're not having a good time, or someone else is being a bit of a pain, or whatever else it is, it's quite alright for people to sort of have a bit of a word about it. Even call a timeout and have a bit of a break and discuss how things might go better, or how you might enjoy it. Mm. Mm. I realise it's difficult for people but yeah let's let's not all worry too much about uh, I'm sat down in someone else's game and they're bothered to prep it and their name's on the sign up sheet so we should all just do what they say as long as you're bought into the basic premise I think it's up to everybody really to start making more of an effort to contribute in many ways and, and that also means if you're not having the greatest time perhaps flagging that in some way or suggesting what else you'd like to see because there's no point just saying I'm not enjoying this and expect things to change you've got to try and articulate what it is you'd like to see more of in a game I think yeah I think that's dead right mate everyone's responsible for the quality of the game I don't think it's shared out necessarily equally and I don't think anybody would want that level of total democracy some people are happy to go along for the ride we've discussed those kind of casual gamers before some GMs really do want to have a lot of authority and I think the the, the system that's on display at your convention will probably give you a good steer as to as to what level of authority is expected in the game. I mean, there's definitely going to be a difference between Hot War um, and um, Numenera and D&D 5th Edition. There's, there's bound to be, isn't there? Um, so you, you take a few cues from that. Um, but, you know, you even if you don't have a huge amount of impact on the overall tone or, or flow of the game, because that's just not appropriate... You've absolutely got control over your own interest levels. Of course you have. You, you, you're you master of your own destiny in many ways. I think I'll go back to an old saying that I've used probably in every podcast by now. As long as you don't try and fix an out-of-game problem with an in-game solution, that works as much for players as it does for GMs. So if you find yourself starting to nod off, it's just not your game, you're getting a bit bored, you're getting a bit tired don't get your character to pull out a shotgun and start blasting the rest of the party because you know that doesn't make anybody else's game go any better at all and you'll just be that guy won't you that gets talked about afterwards in the bar you know yeah identify what what your issue is do you want the game to be faster do you want the game to be over 
Do you want to have more say? Do you want to have less pressure? Whatever it is, there is a solution to it, maybe more than one, but just check to see if it's something that you need to speak as a person or speak in character about. And most of the time, I think it's going to be as a person. And you might just have to raise your hand or wait for the next coffee break and just have a little bit of a word and see if you can steer things from that angle. Or just, you know, and, and our mate Pete does this all the time, just go, sorry, ref, I'm not sure of my bearings on this one. I just want to check something before I, before we carry on. And it's a 10-second timeout, but it's worth it, isn't it? You know, I think most games will survive a 10-second timeout. We can drop out of immersion for that long if it's for the benefit of everything. So, you know, I, I think that's the first thing to do is check where your issue's coming from, player or person, and react accordingly. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. That kind of dropping out of immersion thing just reminds me about that the more sort of shared authority games, one thing I don't particularly like, I know some other people are fine with it, but when there is no um, GM or central authority figure like there is in most trad games that people will generally look to, the thing that I don't particularly like about them, although I understand why it's a behaviour and why it's there, is everyone saying, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z are you alright with that or is that okay <laughs> Yeah. and it seems that every single action has to be caveated by making sure that you're not upsetting anyone else which is in one way good because it's avoiding some of the stuff we're saying about being a game you don't like and you're making sure that all your actions aren't impacting someone or taking the story in a place that other people don't want to go but it doesn't help with my immersion and playing the game for me personally because someone's always checking is that alright Yeah. and it's almost like a character in a film keep nodding at the camera to make sure that everything's all right or you know a film pausing so i can choose a or b on my controller to make it carry on yeah and i kind of want things to flow a bit more so that that's just a, a, a play style that i've noticed but at least in those sort of more shared games you do get more of a everybody making sure that everybody else is all right kind of thing mm. um i think one of the things or behaviors i've seen more in a lot of the traditional games can be uh, players just playing how they've always played and don't really understand there might be different ways out there so I think some of the problems in inverted commas can be that some guys are just playing how they have done for 20 years mm-hmm. and they've always played a particular type of game and don't see anything they're doing as wrong or that it might even be impacting anyone else. They're probably quite oblivious, to be honest, because they're just playing their game as they always have and why wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. I think that's fine, mate. I mean, you, you come with a set of expectations, don't you? And I think at cons as well, you, you, you want to be fairly comfy because you want to enjoy yourself. And, and you know not every con game should be a stretching or challenging experience because for everybody who I think and I, I hope I'm not, I might be speaking for you here but I think you'd see a new game as an opportunity as, as a chance to try something new you know it's a one shot you know you've got another game the afternoons how much can it hurt give it a go few hours of your life the worst that can happen is you didn't enjoy it but let's try something different but other people might be looking for that cozy familiarity you know, they might play Pathfinder every week at home with their group. They've come away to a con, maybe brought a couple of their group with them, and they're looking to like experience a similar game, but with a different GM and different players, and or maybe just get more of the same because they love it so much. So, you know, there's, they're going to be a bit more cozy about it, um, and that is that leads me on to sort of one of the potential problems as a player in a con game is if you bring your own little subgroup to the group. Now, I'm, I'm a big believer you should play with who you like absolutely um, but you can sometimes get a couple and and it might be a couple in a relationship or it might just be a pair of buddies or whatever who operate as a pair in real life and in the game and they've got this kind of secret language between them and it tends to exclude the other half of the table and I've found that as a GM dealing with a pair or a trio half the table know each other really well outside of the game and the other half are strangers and and I didn't know until afterwards and um, and it really weirded out the dynamic that I thought was going to come from the five character sheets. You seen any of that, mate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've even seen it to the extent as me as a GM feeling alienated in my own game. <laughs> a, a bunch of five or six players who all know each other and play, you know, week in week out. They all sit down to the table, and I'm trying to move this game along, and they're they're having a great time from what I can tell and what they said afterwards. But there's all these in jokes and bits of. Uh, shortcut and language and quotes and do you remember when and most of the session I've spent sat there thinking what are you all on about and can I carry on now please but mm. they're all having a great time and I think probably when it's at its worst and we're probably guilty in some way of doing this to a degree is when you've got say four people who not all know each other and then one other guy yeah. or maybe one or two other people 
and you can't but help use your normal social mores and all the conversation and jokes that you use with your friends anyway. I think something that we're probably better at than some of the tables I've seen is that we try and include the other guy. Certainly you've mentioned Pete, he's very good at that, and, and several others. I think we all try to an extent. And If you are going to go with a mate or several mates and be part of a group, I think the thing to be mindful of is just to try and include the other people. Because mm. even to the extent that it seems like you're giving them more airtime than your friends almost, because you probably aren't. If you could look at it dispassionately from the outside, you'd probably be giving them an equal or less amount of time. But because you're so comfy with your mates, you probably don't notice the thousand and one things that you say or do, or that even the non-vocal cues and stuff that you'll all pick up on that they probably miss. So definitely, if there's if there's groups, then it's well worth them as part of the group trying to include other people in if they outnumber them. Certainly, mm-hmm. and if you are a couple, I mean, you know, just don't spend too much time look gazing into each other's eyes whether a couple in the romantic sense or just a couple of mates, you know, just try and uh, spread it out amongst the group and get everybody included. I think that's every player's job is to try and help every other player do something with their character, I think. Yeah. And do you know what, mate? Uh, it's going to be one of my... I've sort of brought along three or four top tips that I wanted to get out in this episode. And, and one of them is if you sit down to play a game, introduce yourself to people as a real person I always ask the GMs to do that and it's something I try and do as a GM quite a lot so if there's loads of GMs out there saying who are you that's great but look to your left look to your right and say hello to that person shake hands you might have a drink with them afterwards you know we've made loads of great mates through convention gaming you get about to spend four hours being an elf or whatever it is you're about to be doing and you're going to be probably acting out of character that's the point of the role playing game after all for many people so you know take that couple of minutes to just say hello I'm Baz and um, you know do you, do you know anybody else here and just do those little introductions that you would do if you were sat down at a wedding because you know you're probably going to be put into awkward challenging situations with these strangers over the next few hours be nice if you had something to go on and even knew their name and, and the classic way of doing that is to scribble out names on an index card isn't it in the shape of the table that you've got and there's always one person doing it they're normally doing it in silence and, they, and, I, and I never see the rest of the table do it either and if I've forgotten as the GM I keep wanting to nick that card because I, I, I do sort of slack off sometimes I don't speak to everybody in character for four hours all the time sometimes I do revert to their normal name because you know sometimes you have to say wake up <laughs> but, um, you know that would be my first pro tip is is invest a few seconds and it wouldn't take much more than that to say hello to people and just get a, get a view of what the group dynamic around the table is before you start pretending to be someone else. Yeah, I think yeah, the thing you're right. It's something I always do, pretty much, is get that sort of little, little uh, pseudo table written down with people's names and other character names, so I can use it. Uh, and you're not constantly saying so who are you again and things like that. Mm. So it helps just generally in the game, but it also gives you if people are a little bit more socially awkward it gives you that excuse to say oh what, what's your name mate what's your character just to write something down so mm-hmm. even if you don't feel confident enough to kind of have a chat with someone you've got an excuse just to get the name down at least and say hello and what character and what are you about that mm-hmm. sort of stuff I think that's all fair enough I remember one game I played in um, in the castle at Starleck in, in Germany I was playing a game of Cthulhu there and I was I had a problem with my character's brother or something like that and I was constantly having to go at this character uh, and then someone else has always defended him and I was like what, what's your problem why is he being an asshole and trying to undermine everything I say and, and just naturally seemed for whatever reason it was that guy who was just trying to like deny my character doing what he wanted to do and it only clicked after a little while he probably just had that written on his character sheet so he wasn't being a twat <laughs> or anything it's just that my sheet said undermine this guy and the sheet probably said like look after him and don't let him be undermined or something of that nature and I think if I just, like you say, had that two minutes of hello and we had some human interaction at first, I probably would have clicked straight away that it wasn't the player just being a bit off. It was actually just the character. Mm. Mm. It's weird. It's, it's something I haven't seen as much in online play, bizarrely. I think most of the online Hangouts games and stuff I've had, we've all more or less, you sort of sit there in silence looking at the screen and making the odd comment and then we jump into a game. Everybody's following character and I assume everybody is. And then afterwards, kind of the lights get flipped back on and the headphones get taken off. Everybody's having a great laugh and a chat. And assuming, you know, there's none of that assumption about people, I found anyway. And I find that a really curious thing that it's only applied to hangout games that people will go straight to character and then afterwards happily have a nice chat. Yeah, and it doesn't that. seem to happen face to face as much, weirdly. 
Now, I see that too, mate. It's like, um, it's like when you're in a queue for a video conference at work um, and everybody's waiting for the chairperson to come on and get things kicked off and they might do a roll call if you're lucky. But, you know, I mean, a lot of the stuff that, that I talk about with GMing and playing is, is management techniques that you learn in a work environment, to be fair, you know, how to get along with a table. But you can be too formal about these things. I wish in Hangouts there was an opportunity um, which again it'll be the GM's job won't it to say like everybody say hello to each other it just will but <laughs> you know get used to it you're the social secretary apart from anything else but just you know waving and, and nodding your head because the other thing that you get in hangout games sometimes is is everybody being silent or has their connection failed so you need to kind of exaggerate your body language to let people know you're alive and listening how many games have like, you know really stuttered for that first two minutes because there was one person was idly having to poke the speaker button on their computer to try and get involved but you know <laughs> is it me <laughs> yeah is it me yeah and that's what the chat functions for but you know it, i think in real life there's um there's there is a bit of a classic uh, scene isn't there uh, it happens nine times out of ten in games where the gm says introduce your characters to each other who wants to go first and and that's that's opportunity one isn't it to like make your stamp on the game get yourself known around the table but it's also the almost the only opportunity you're going to get to listen to everybody in order around the table too and i've been very guilty of still studying my character sheet when it's gone around two or three two or three people and if i'm really honest i haven't actually listened properly to what they've said and i think there is a real art to introducing your character and it comes you know with practice and skill and you really do have to practice it and, and and often at a con, of course, you've got you've had that character for five minutes. You don't know much about it yourself. So I think it's it's your first opportunity to take a little bit of the spotlight. But you've got to use you know two ears, one mouth on this stuff as well, haven't you? And note down a couple of things, even if it is just really shorthand stuff. Like you want to kind of know who the driver is in an espionage game, and and who's the bare knuckle fighter, because people will be given rollsy type characters in con games. That's natural. And um, and that will really help because one of the things we'll probably talk about later is what do you do mid-game if you want to get your point made. I think talking to the GM is probably the wrong thing to do at that point. You really want to talk to another player, get some conversation going that isn't mother may I over a cardboard screen. And it's difficult to do if you can't remember what the person is probably only about four feet away, but there's a couple of people between you and that person and you you kind of don't know who they are or what they've done because they're probably a bit quiet so you can't get them included and um and that and you can't turn back time and go i'm sorry what was your name again two hours later because that's a bit awkward isn't it <laughs> so you know that 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 introduce your character i mean i've sat in many games with you guys where you, you i know you relish that opportunity and we've got friends who are, i think are absolute masters at the two minute this is my character pitch <laughs> sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't um, but I kind of look forward to that bit. I enjoy it. I know some people think it's pressured, don't they? Yeah, I think so. I think it's important. I think it's worthwhile listening to your other players as well, like you say, because it can be a bit of panic sets in almost. Mm. Even when you've read your character sheet top to bottom, and then the GM tells you you're going to have to introduce that character to someone else, all the heads immediately go down again as people start reading the sheet to make sure they get it right. Mm. So I think one of the things with that sort of intro bit is don't worry about it getting it dead right or introducing everything about your character. Don't worry about that. Just introduce something, some flavour. And it's probably just pick three things. So one of them, as you've mentioned, is the role. Are you the driver? Are you the doctor? Are you the fire? Whatever it is you might be, give some indication of that. Probably some indication of what you look like. And again, you don't have to go down to what colour socks he's wearing, if he's got underpants on or not. It's just kind of, you know, a scar down the side of your face or the piercing blue eyes or the impressive beard or just pick a character feature that people will be able to hang the hat off almost maybe mm. wear a hat whatever it might be something like that and then probably just something else to differentiate yourself you know it could be something from a hindrance or a, an advantage that your character's got or a really high skill just pick something that you're particularly renowned for being good at or is flavorful or maybe you always chew a cigar or something like that but just pick two or three things that people can then identify with. Yeah. And I think that's enough. Don't worry about, you know, completely replicating your character sheet but in verbal form because most of it will get lost. Just pick two or three highlights, I think. Yeah, I think so, mate. And I would make them physical highlights, you know, stuff that you can see or stuff that you can hear. 
I would at that point probably stay away from your personality traits I guess it depends on the game but if you're someone who feels immense guilt at the death of your child when you were when you were young then you know that that should come out in play unless there's a good reason for it I don't think it's the sort of thing people will wear on a badge when they meet a group of strangers so you know what you want to do really is is stick to the to the visuals you know you're probably going to have a setup where you all meet each other in a I don't know a bar or a work environment and the other thing the GM would do is say like you know tell you whether you already know each other or might be open about it and say do you want to know each other in advance that kind of thing there's no right or wrong answer to that but you know go with what you've got Um, and as you say I would make it nice and visual nice and snappy you know aspect style but I would stay away from mental or personality um, traits at that point because I think that should come out as you play it's interesting if you could give some people a questionnaire um, and have them fill it out during the game about what the other character sheets say and then compare it four hours later I don't think you'd get many of them right would you you know because it's difficult it's like playing blind man's buff with that stuff but yeah it's it's a good chance though isn't it? I, I like that bit of the game to be honest yeah you can be setting yourself up for your fall if you say oh yeah I'm the, the loud mouth wisecracking X, Y, Z and then you don't say anything for two hours in the game you kind of <laughs> well you're not then so I think there's an element of what comes out is what your character actually is rather than what's written on your sheet don't worry about reading the text quite so much show don't tell Um, sorry I was just going to say one example would be um, one of the things I like in games or my games is having some sort of secrets but not the secrets you want to keep forever it's just like something that's personal to you and might come out through play so some characters will get that sort of stuff in my games generally speaking and uh, I remember Neil Gale playing one of my, my sort of science fiction games and he was like Bishop from Aliens or more like Ash from Alien if you know what I mean he was a, a synthetic human uh, but none of the characters knew that and he just started off by doing a couple of bit of dodgy bits and other players were kind of looking at him like what are you up to and then by midpoint through the game he was you know actively throwing himself into fights in the hope that he would get injured so that he could bleed some white everywhere and people would know that he was a replicant you know yeah. really trying to get that secret out there sort of thing and, and I think that's kind of another good aspect from a player and I think you've mentioned this before about stuff from settings if it doesn't see play then it might as well not be written down you know what what you're yeah. doing yeah. And, and I think that's the same for characters you know if you've got stuff on your character sheet don't necessarily blurt it all out straight away but throughout play start to let it show you know bleed it out into the game through your actions and the things you say and and all that kind of stuff because otherwise if you get to the end of a game and you've got secrets still on your sheet and no one else knows about them I don't view that as a win that's just some good gaming that's not got out there on the table unfortunately yeah yeah I'm, I'm actually not a fan of secrets for that very reason because I guess the standard is four or five players isn't it and, it, and if you're going to put secrets on character sheets as a GM in prep you were probably going to give them to all the characters because it only seems right. I've seen four-hour games absolutely devoured by secret hunting because you know you've got a secret on your sheet, so it's a fair assumption. It's a bit metagamey that everybody else has, and you can just be hunting that. Now, if that's the game, that's then great. Happy days. Um, you know, Paranoia, that has a rule that you have a secret, don't you? But, you know, who plays that? Um, but if that's what you want out of your session to be trying to uncover personal agendas, that kind of thing, then there's a good session there if you try and do that at the same time as you're doing something maybe more mission oriented you're kind of running two tracks of game at the same time so I'm, I'm not a huge fan because for, as you say either these secrets don't come out or they become the prime purpose of the game to get them out and then whatever the other stuff you had running along becomes background and, and I, usually those secrets work really well on TV with episodes because you can spread them out over 12, 13 eps con games I, I think they should be punchier than that. Um, so, you know, I'm not so much of a fan. Okay. No, I think that's a fair point. I think that the thing to do is not make it, well, depending on your type of game, but if it's, if it's a general happy-go-lucky, everybody's on the same team, it shouldn't be a secret that's, uh, you know, someone's the traitor and actually working for the enemy or something like that. It's just something that might be uh, vaguely a bit dodgy or, you know, uh, something like, uh, if uh, the players are constantly getting ambushed or chased down by the king's guard or whatever it is and it turns out that one of the players had it away with the king's daughter or something like that as a secret that I think that's it. Does, so it doesn't matter if it comes out or not but if mm. it does it's like oh it's your fault they're after you mm. well you know the adventure is those guys are going to be after you whatever so I don't know 
include him or not for flavour. I think um, the thing is, some players as well, myself included, like a little bit more going on. Hmm. So I'm quite happy to play a sort of vanilla game where I've just got a, a fighter or a paladin or whatever. But I do like there to be some other thing that's personal to my character. Uh, and if it's not there, then I quite often try and make something happen anyway, if you know what I mean, or make something about me or make details up. Mm-hmm. Which is probably another thing that's that's useful as a player is if, if you don't think there's enough flavour for you there, is try and inject some stuff into the game as well yourself. That's either oh, yeah. a separate point. Uh, that's on my list of pro tips, mate. You know, I, I, I like you. I'm a bit of an instigator. If I see a red button in a scenario, my character's going to press it. I mean, that's just you know, that's just the way it rolls. Um, but yeah, you, you're very much in charge of when it's your turn to speak. Say what you like. You know, I I don't know many GMs who'd be brave enough to go. But I'm sorry, I'm not having that. I don't think they exist anymore, really, do they? In cons, we all like it when people invent a tiny bit of the world or. You know, and character sheets aren't completely sacred. If you don't like the name you've been given, give yourself another one. And yeah, you know, even to the level of swapping out skills, if that's what you fancy doing, I don't, I don't think that anyone would have a problem with that. And when it comes to the actual in-game play, if you want to play your character in a certain way, as long as it abides by the rules that we'll probably spend the rest of this episode talking about, I think it's fair game. It's your game. You know, do what you like with it. As long as you're enjoying it, and as long as it's not standing on anybody else's fun. You know, the character sheets are not sacred screeds that have to be approached in just one way. Uh, yeah, as long as you're sticking to the spirit of the game, I think that's the thing there. So what other pro tips have you got on your sheet there then, Baz? Well, I think um, one of the things that I would always suggest to people is this, is any chance you get to read GMing advice or get GMing advice off of you know, experienced GMs, anything like that, all that stuff makes you a better player. I don't think there's a huge amount of player advice in books. They don't seem to to do an awful lot of that in the big, heavy published books back in the day. Um, And if there is player advice in the more modern games, it's kind of tucked away in the how to generate a character rather than how to play the actual game. So I think the GMing advice is full of stuff for the players. It's a rare book these days that says players can't read it. You know, I don't think that we have those kind of secrets anymore. And the reason why I suggest that is because when you're speaking, you are being the GM, even if it's only for 30 seconds, even if it's that two-minute introduce-your-character bit. You're using all the same arts and techniques and skills that the GM is using when they're describing a scene in their scenario, but you've got control and agency over your bit of the unfolding game. Whether you like a story or you like it to be a bit more gamey or whatever it is, you're the GM. And when you shut up and the next person speaks, the GMing baton goes to that next person. So any advice you get for GMing works pretty much as a player. That stuff about show, don't tell. That stuff about, you know, don't block people, about getting other people engaged, bringing people into the conversation, not hogging the spotlight. The GM knows all this stuff. You could know it too. So I think you can, I think you can work at being a better player. And I think it's kind of everybody's duty to do that. I think it's um, this one's quite a tough one, but I recommend everybody tries jamming at least once. That do it? Like, not, not even just the jamming advice. I think like actually try and run a game if you haven't, and pick a safe crowd. Get people who are going to back you up, your friends or however, or you know recruit some people and say I'm a new GM, just want to try it for the first time. But I think you get a lot of value out of that. It's quite easy to sit on the other side of the screen and uh, d- decide what should happen or shouldn't happen, or criticize GMs or have a real opinion about how things should have gone and when they didn't but you need to sort of do it yourself and it just gives you a really good perspective on it all now, I, I could sit here for hours talking about what's wrong with certain films but I've never tried to direct one mm. so God knows what it would look like if I if I did and I think it's that walk a mile in someone else's shoes before you start criticising them but even not just to prevent criticism I mean really genuinely think as soon as you've actually run a game yourself and worked out what it's like it'll just give you a whole new appreciation for the job that that role entails and, and make you a better player for it on the other side because you'll you'll know what the GM's having to put up with frankly and, and the things the players having to keep spinning and the difficulties they have and, and make it more likely that you act in a way that helps the game move along having had that experience from both sides of the role if you know what I mean it works the other way around as well doesn't it you get to be a better GM by being a player occasionally uh, and, and everything I ever learnt about GMing was from being a player and everything I ever learnt about being a player was from GMing people, you know, because you're outside of the environment, aren't you? You're looking in, 
and, and you can see it but you, your behavior becomes obvious you just think oh god am i the sort of person who does that i probably yeah. am i should stop doing that <laughs> you know? um, and then you realize you know that people who build dice towers aren't actually necessarily bored that's just you know something to do with their hands while they're listening but you know mm. if, before you've done it yourself you might think oh no they've checked out oh that's terrible they must be really hating the game and you can tie yourself up in knots about people's little ticks and habits until you put yourself literally in their seat then it all becomes obvious I think yeah another point to sort of bring out there is is listening to the players you've mentioned just not talking to the GM in Mother May I and talking mm-hmm. to other players which I think you should do in character when you're describing something you should try and look around the table a bit mm-hmm. and give the story to everyone else not just straight at the GM but as a player it's kind of your job to listen a bit as well one of the games uh, I played down at Conception, I think it was, or Indycon, one of them, it was uh, Beat to Quarters, which I've mentioned previously. And a lot of that game comes down to one-on-one action, where you've got a conflict scene and a player does something and then another player does something. And rarely are they all independent on each other. It's not like someone, I don't know, tripping another guy up so you can hit them. It tends to be one solid thing that each player does. And it suffered as the run started flowing and the beers went down, all the rest of it, in that whenever a player was doing something they were telling the GM what was happening and everyone else was having a good old chat do you want another mojito all that kind of stuff and I think the game lost it for me personally anyway as it as it went on because players weren't listening to what other players were doing and then it was just loads of little mini games with the GM mm. so I think it really helps the game even if you want to play with your dice towers or whatever else you do you know, you can't necessarily maintain complete focus for four hours but do show other players you're listening and if you're a player explaining stuff or giving some exposition or asking for questions aim it at other players as well don't just aim it at the GM as the sole authority because that way you're going to keep everybody more engaged and more likely to be listening and look like they're actively engaged rather than just player versus GM the whole time I think that's where sometimes it feels like people aren't listening when well, maybe they are but I think just make that sort of stuff really obvious to help everybody else out around the table yeah yeah totally it, it, it astonishes me sometimes how much hard work it is to gm a game at a con simply because you're having to have five simultaneous conversations for three or four hours um and if you were going to do a sort of a, a time emotion analysis on it a lot of that time might be you're answering questions that other people around the table could answer or have a view on or would be would be better um, to speak to because you just you you can you imagine yourself as the hub of a wheel and you've got spokes going out to each player and the information is just going up and down those lines and it's never going around the wheel and uh, that's where it should be happening um, and if it does happen it's always a bit disheartening if when it happens you hear people say who's got the highest perception skill <laughs> that's, uh, that's a, just you know that uh, right players don't do that that's just an awful thing to do and stop it um, there is other ways of getting that information which are way more interesting um, and uh, if it is you and you've got a, a you know a skill that you want to highlight because you're dead good at it and you want this to be your mission there are better ways of doing it than saying my strength is highest around the table there's you know you wouldn't want your gm to speak purely rules so don't do it yourself you are being the gm just for a few seconds so find a way to you know reintroduce that stuff without it becoming you show me your sheet and i'll show you mine yeah exactly something as simple as who's got the sharpest eyes or that that kind of thing rather than just saying what's your perception because that's <laughs> like at that point you might as well have everybody's character sheet in front of everybody and have yeah. like five mini character sheets and everybody's just picking one person making all the dice rolls yeah exactly i mean you don't want to over egg some stuff do you um no. you know it, who's got the sharpest axe skill is is going to be <laughs> You know that's going to come up twenty times in a D and D fight. So <laughs> let's just skip to the skip to the bit that's important. But when you can, your job is to provide a bit of flavour for the game for everybody's benefit, including the GMs. Yeah. So whenever you have an opportunity, you want to up the quality level of the game overall, not bring it down or block any bits off. So you've got to be mindful, haven't you? You've got to concentrate, frankly, uh, and you've got to pitch it just right so that you're contributing. Um, in a meaningful way or at every stage that you can so you know my my other tip to help that happen is to be curious um, both as a person and as a player 
Now, I mean, some games would have that as a disadvantage on the sheet, literally. They would put down, you know, curious as if that's a bad thing to be. Um, <laughs> curious doesn't mean suicidal. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't. But it should be that you are interested in finding stuff out and getting more information, uh, finding out stuff about the players, about the situation, about about the agenda because I think broadly you're either on a mission and you need to stay on mission it's really important that people do that or you're playing to agendas or you're trying to disrupt another agenda and I think you know always be trying to find out if you're in the dark about something or you don't know what to do gather information and you can do that by being curious if don't you know but don't just sit there and do nothing but plan you know that's that's awful but being curious means I wonder what will happen if now that can go too far and, and I'll, I'll leave the next bit to you guys because the question I'm going to ask you in a second is you know what do you do with the people who say but that's what my character would do which which ends up with everybody being in hell or in hospital in short order but I, I think curiosity is an undervalued trait and I hate seeing it used as a disadvantage in games I think all player characters should be curious it kind of comes with the job uh, yeah I think uh, where, well where I've seen it in for example, in Savage Worlds, when you've got curious, it means you are curious to the point of it becoming a hindrance to the party in some way, sort of thing. So that that's kind of how it's a disadvantage, and that you do it when you know it will then get you in trouble. Mm. But yeah, everybody should be curious, and I think Simon, one of the guys we used to play with, who's now moved abroad, he, he was very good at that. Any game you play, straight away the pan and paper, pad and paper came out, and he was all over it like a rash, looking at down different lines of inquiries, who he could speak to, what they knew, what they didn't know, what he wanted to know. And that was all really good stuff. And that just gave everybody like a really good picture of what the game looked like and what to their characters sort of thing. Mm. So that, that was very useful. I think, as we said earlier, you can sort of introduce your character in a, a brief two or three word summary or pick some ideas. The danger is you, you can get sort of, well, my character's stubborn so then you refuse to do anything ever oh. and that's just dull that's that's not helping the game you can act it out sometimes and make it a thing make it a quirk or a character feature that's perfectly cool but don't spend five minutes just absolutely refusing to go into the mansion to investigate or whatever like you know be awkward about it a bit and then go and carry on with the game because you're all there to move on I've definitely seen it with some players who were pious so insisted on going and finding a church even though they're in the middle of nowhere and wouldn't do anything until they found a church because they're pious. Well, I don't know anyone like that in real life. Mm. The most religious people I know might pray every day or five times a day, depending on the tenets of their religion, but they won't insist on finding a mosque before they do anything else, eat or sleep or what, you know. <laughs> like, don't be stupid about it. Play to your type, use it as a bit of interest. But yeah, come on, keep the game moving at the same time as well. All those quirks and disadvantages and other things are all there to make a bit more interest out of the game. Don't make them into barriers, though. That's yeah. the thing. They're, they're propellants, aren't they? You know, I, I can immediately think, and it's easy to do outside of the the, the hurly burly of a game. But I can immediately think of six ways to use stubborn to make the game better for everyone. And I can immediately think of six ways to use it, which will just have me like, you know, people will throw stuff at me. And, and you know, pick one of the good ones. You know, the stubborn person who doesn't want to enter the tomb of horrors uh, is bad the stubborn person who won't be prevented from ever going into the Tomb of Horrors because it's something he was destined to do that's better, you want people like dragging you back from issues but because you're so stubborn minded about it you're getting that helmet back that your dad lost in there 30 years ago that's immediately better um, and there's always ways of doing that um, Yeah, get the game going forward, don't be a blocker you know, you, you would hate it if every question you asked of the GM came back with a um, no or roll the dice so the GM advice for decades now has been say yes and or yes but at worst. Be that on your side of the table too. You know, Get involved, do something, don't stop other people doing it. But, uh, which brings me to my next point, is don't play other people's characters. <laughs> play your own character, do it really well, lead by example if you have to. If you've got a problem or a suggestion for the person on your left who seems to be doing things which are in your eyes incorrect or wrong, <laughs> don't just elbow them out of the way and say give it here and I've seen this happen I've seen people yeah. play other people's characters or start making suggestions when it comes up to your turn in the initiative before you've even had a chance to say word one uh, and it's like you play your character mate I'll play mine get off and it's just annoying there's other ways of doing it if you see people doing stuff wrong or, or their statement is going to get us us as a group in trouble 
you can maybe intervene in character or you can say well, what, what, why, why would you do that what are you thinking it's the sort of thing you hear said in Doctor Who episodes all the time isn't it you know give the other character a chance to explain themselves a little bit in character to help you understand what it is they're doing but you know play your character really well don't try and play the other five they've all got players they've all got people behind them just encourage I think yeah yeah that's, that's good. I've seen that many times I know exactly what you're saying about it the, the most irritating probably is the person who wants to tell everybody else what to do and when it comes to their turn they can't think of anything so they, they, they <laughs> spent the last really? 15 minutes telling other people what to do and I'm going to clear out to run their own character they've got the wrong character there they need to swap them around or something Mm. Mm. Um, yeah definitely uh, encourage and support or you know if you feel like someone's not grasping the rules or something you want to help them out don't do it right there and then there's a bunch of you at the table let them have their go do what they want to do while the GM's then dealing with another person you can always say you get more benefit by doing this or you can get this advantage if you do it that way I didn't know whether you know and some people won't care you know you'll try and help some people they're like I don't care I want to do this anyway well you can't necessarily fix that so let them let them rock on basically mm. rather than have an argument about it at the table I think mm. one of the curious things at conventions because you can have people you don't know it can be awkward sometimes if one character's stubborn or another one's strong-willed or, or whatever the situation might be and you've got people pulling in two different directions or both refusing to budge I think you can actually go to dice on that sometimes you know if you've got someone you don't know and you're trying to talk around it but they're not really as a player giving in and you can't see a way around it, you can always say, like, look, mate, our characters are going to argue all night about this, so let's just see who won the argument yeah. and make some kind of dice roll for it and then go with it. And, you know, you as a player might think, it's still a stupid move, I wouldn't do that, but you've got to figure out that the movie's got to carry on. So just, you know, find a way to resolve it or flip a coin or whatever it is you need to do. Have your bit of a tete-a-tete, but if you're getting nowhere, roll the bones and move on. You know, we're playing a game. Oh, that's great advice. You don't see it happen very often, do you? And it could simply be a... You don't even need the PvP rule for that, do you? It could just be like roll a D6 each and whoever's got highest gets the gets the run of the argument this time. Yeah. Um, I mean, moaning about other people's terrible ideas is what all my favourite stories are based on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so go with it. Go and do the stupid thing, but have your, have your character being the I told you so guy at the back. You play that for humour, that's all right, you know, in small doses. That's good fun. That's called being a dwarf in my games. I love all that stuff. Okay, so listen, I've primed you on this one, guys. It's time to it's time to give us some good advice then, mate. So when you hear some a player say out loud around the table, whether you're sitting next to them or you're the other side of the screen, and they say as justification for their action, but it's what my character would do, what is the best advice for dealing with that situation? Because you know, everybody knows what that's just come from. It's come from a stupid-ass decision which has got everybody killed or angry, probably both. <laughs> well, it can fall back to the sort of thing you were saying before about don't try and solve an out-of-game problem with in-game stuff. So if it's someone deliberately... If they keep doing it, then you're going to have to say to them as a player in a tea break, a call for one, like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're not really on board with the rest of what we're doing here. Are you bored? Are you fed up? Uh, do you think that's funny? Like, could you play more kind of, or, you know, you're going to have to have a conversation about it, which is awkward for a lot of people, I realise. But if someone's just insistent on being a douche, and maybe th maybe they don't know that they're, they're being annoying. As I said, like, some people come and that's the way they always game. So it might be something you have to do going, like, mate, can you, like, quit that so we can get on with the game a bit? That's something. Um, again, you could, you could sort of ask, like, would your character really do that? Or, you know, I don't know. Once they've done something and it's stupid, it's a it's hard afterwards to kind of fix that. You can sort of wreck on, or you can you really have to call the pause and say, "Oh, why, why are you doing that? Like, really? And if you're doing that, this will happen. Like, is that is that what you're after? Is that okay? And just mm -hmm. get a read on whether it's something they actually want to do, or whether they're just playing up. I guess. Um, yeah. It's the sort of repeated behaviour you can kind of stop if they're constantly trying to kick a door in or set the fire alarm off or shoot the gun when you're supposed to be on a spy mission or whatever it is. You have to kind of say, like, look, we're on this spy mission, we're supposed to be in quiet, so why do you keep doing that? And if they say it's what my character would do, you kind of got to challenge it a bit, I think, and say, well, mm. why? What's on your character sheet that's making you do that? Is this a different way you can do it? Mm. Yeah. I, it's I, tough. It is tough, mate, because it always depends on the circumstance, doesn't it? 
I, I, you've got to admire where it comes from. If people are, going to, are willing to use it's what my character would do as a justification, then at least they're looking at what their character would do and they're not just playing themselves in front of a sheet of A4 paper with a photo of somebody else on it. So there's that. So it's coming from a good place. And if it needs a bit of steering in the right direction, uh, what I often find is, you know, again, I think the game can survive a 10-second timeout for the benefit of the whole game. I mean, I grew up with thieves and paladins in parties in dungeons. So this is like, you know, this is old, old stuff. It goes right yeah, back yeah. to the root of the hobby, doesn't it? You know, what do we do with the prisoners, you know? I'm one of those weird people that likes alignment systems. They help me in these situations. But, you know, any more, any more modern gay games, people do this stuff. Why do they do it? That First of all, good, you're role-playing. Second, though, are you just showing off? Are you bored? Are you just trying to be, you know, spotlight hog? Are you trying to make something explode? Um, you know, don't do that. Um, you've got to be a bit meta about stuff for everybody's enjoyment. There's that. The other one is, you know, never split the party. That's a terrible idea in fiction. It's a terrible idea in movies and comics and all the other stuff we like because that's where the good stories come from. But we know it doesn't work at the table, so it's kind of an etiquette thing, isn't it? You don't yeah. do certain things because it just doesn't work in role-playing games, no matter what the stripe. And, you know, doing using it's what my character with justification is, is, is a poor justification if the action that's led to you using that term has got everybody dead or angry. You know, I think if it's just put people out a little bit or has opened up a new plot, roll with it. That seems fair enough to me. That's that's interesting. But if it's only interesting to you, well, yeah, you've got to check the rest of the table, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think I mentioned before a situation where I've sort of said that, you know, twinkling lights off in the forest, and it's like, are you going to go and look? Well, no, why would I? You know, that's what my character wouldn't do. Yeah. It's more the case there. But as long as some other character wants to go and do that and it's not stopping anything, then that's fine. I think it's the... Like you say, when someone does something because that's what their character do, knowing full well as a player that it's going to mess the game up or you know put a crimp on the scenario or you know unnecessarily aggravate other players, that's when it's something you've got to call out. I guess if someone's just a bit deluded or perhaps not getting the mood at the table, because it's hard to judge other people, especially if you don't know them and never met them before or spoken to them as a person rather than just the character that they're playing for that four-hour session they might not get that they're being obstructive or going over the top or whatever and might think it's that sort of game I don't know and maybe most of the people around the table are with him on it I don't know it can sometimes just be you can't it thinking well that's a stupid idea everybody else thinks it's hilarious so Mm. you've got to kind of judge the mood a little bit Mm. But yeah, I don't know. It, it just comes down to having conversations again sometimes, doesn't it? Unfortunately, yeah, it does. I know it does. we all like to pretend to be elves around a table, and that's that should be the be all and end all. But actually, I think sometimes we just need to chat as people as well. Yeah, I, I, I think you know that communication bit can probably head off some stuff as well. I would suggest you know don't don't keep your play agenda secret. If you've got some strategy in mind for your character, there's there's no point keeping it a secret from the GM or the other players don't try and con the GM into giving you an environment where you know you can use your special ability that you reveal as an ambush okay where you know you, you, you'll ask pointed slightly leading questions and the GM doesn't quite know where you're going with this but you know I, I'm just struggling to think of an example now it might be something like you know what state is the moon in tonight is it full or waxing or whatever and the GM's going in his head I have absolutely no bloody idea why are you asking this? And the player's got a reason, but they're not going to say what it is because two or three rounds from now, they're going to produce something that really matters on that answer as some kind of aha moment. And that, in between them initiating that plan and finishing it, if somebody else kills their opponent or takes some kind of action based on it's what my character would do, that can be really annoying for the person with the secret agenda because now their plan has failed because somebody's done something sudden and unexpected. What is your own fault? Stop being a secret about it and trying to like you know stealth win a role playing game. <laughs> Go back to page one of your rule book where it says there's no winners and losers, and you know that's that's legit. Stop it. Yeah, yeah, that that, that does come to kind of clearing the players as well. I, I've seen that quite a bit actually, where someone's got a they've got a particular body they want you to take down, or they're trying to position for something, or they're taking a name somewhere, and you know another character just takes their action and kills the opponent they had in their head marked, mm. but they never said so. So yeah, yeah if, you, if you've got something you want or you're after, like let people know, out yeah. character or in character. You know, it's, it, it'd be a nice little bit of fiction just to kind of 
push all the other warriors back and point at the, the big baddie at the end and go he's mine no one touch him or whatever it is or you and me outside now or you know anything and that little bit of you don't need to like lay out all of the special manoeuvres he's going to do but just point out to the players that that's something you want mm-hmm. yeah I totally agree mate that you know the GM has probably come to the convention with a mission or an agenda based game but you should always have an agenda as a player you should always have an agenda whether it's a secret one you know a proper one like you know a, a cold city or a hot war proper agenda or it's just something you want to try and achieve you know it's uh, note down a couple of little ambitions in the margins on your character sheet whether it's like get to know the player on my left or it's or something you know really meaty and pertinent to the to the encounter or the scenario like take down the the head triad in this city have an agenda and make it public let everybody know what it is bang on about it all the time i I think subtlety is overrated in a four-hour con game um gonzo is overrated too there's a really sweet middle (laughs) ground but i'll take gonzo over subtlety where the subtlety is so subtle that no one knew what it was you were trying to do (laughs) it's a verbal game yeah yeah absolutely i think there's that kind of element of some players as well trying to win by inactivity by the character surviving till the end yeah can we can we stop that please you know like really just get involved whatever it is you're doing well, here's the thing, guys. Right, I don't, I, I don't want to make light of this, but players who are so risk averse, it, it baffles me. I really try to understand because you know, losing hit points and writing new numbers on your piece of paper does not cause you physical pain, as far as I know. But <laughs> the way people react to some situations is like, this is going to make me physically at the table hurt if I do stuff, and the safest course is to do nothing say nothing and be ignored well you're right you will you will be safe but I, I, let me suggest another hobby for you because th- surely the this is about you know encountering imaginary situations imaginary worlds and the imagination never really hurt anyone um i, I don't understand that risk averse thing and sometimes it's the thing my character would do is used as that justification um and it might be that the system you're playing punishes proactivity uh, to get a different system they're all stupid those ones um, we know which ones they are don't play them um, there's many other games but you know being curious you should trust that the person on the side, other side of the cardboard screen is not going to just off you for your first mistake you know Yeah. I think we're well past the fantasy Vietnam dungeons aren't we I think so if you're at a con game it's your first 30 minutes you can rely on some plot immunity there as long as you're not yeah. doing outrageously stupid stuff on purpose because you think you can't die you know just act reasonably and the gems on your side you know the, the characters should be in his like his, his superheroes or whatever it is that he says in uh, Apocalypse World you know the NPCs are the ones on the crosshairs mm. they're the ones the GM wants to die or get taken down yep yep my, my favourite example I see this happen all the time I've done it I've found myself saying this out loud as well I've got a bit of a penchant for playing pilot characters and whenever there's one on offer, I always grab it. And three seconds after I grabbed it, I always think, you idiot, you've now got three hours of being a taxi driver. Because <laughs> games, games don't do pilots very well. And, and your job is to fly people to the mission. And I see all pilot players do this. If the GM says, right, what you're going to do when you land on the, in, on the helipad or whatever it is or outside the cantina, the, the party goes off and investigates the town and the pilot stays with the ship to make sure no one flies off with it. <laughs> and <laughs> no one ever tries to fly off with it. And if they did, you'd be you'd be screwed, or you'd just like lock all the doors, wouldn't you, and stay there and get on the radio to get the other guys back. I don't or know fly how off. many times. <laughs> or fly off. Yeah, I don't know how many times I have painted myself out of a game by doing something because that felt right. Oh. <laughs> That's what my Never character would do. The most interesting thing you do is leave your ship unlocked with the keys hanging out of the ignition and go into town and get rat-faced. Yeah, absolutely. Leaves it in a game of cards. That's, that's the best thing to do with the ship. Yeah, then you can win it back. But, you know, you could go too far the other way, can't you? We, I, I mentioned Gonzo yeah. before. That's the, you know that's that's a strain of game which I see, I don't know, maybe it's on the rise, but I see it coming out more and more in convention games. I, I've sat down to run games that are really not gonzo they've ended up that way though um and uh, maybe that's that's people pushing their agendas too hard or or driving their characters like stolen cars because that's a piece of advice that seems to have gotten out there um 
but I, it's it's got games where that works but not in, not in all of them and I, I think you know we don't often talk about what do you do to tone it down we've talked about turtling loads but what do you do to bring people back down to earth a bit when they're setting fire to everything with laser eyes yeah I don't know I'm not uh, similar to you I'm not really a fan of the Gonzo stuff at all to be honest um, although cert- certain games like you say are more like it if I'm playing one of my pirate games with dodgy accents you expect a little bit larger than life action and a bit more PG-13 stuff going on with players not dying but just getting knocked off wharves and things like mm. an episode of I don't know like Ron Kinnear out of uh, Four Musketeers again that kind of stuff to a degree brilliant yeah that's all my um, characters if they're not pilots they're the bloke on the donkey at the back <laughs> or Black Widow I, th- I guess that's the other one yeah listen I've got three characters but, that's two more than many have got <laughs> <laughs> Black Widow played by Ron Kinnear obviously but <laughs> yeah I, I, I guess you try and judge the media at the table it's I don't know. Uh, some people just want to play things larger than life, and because it's a one shot, go for it more. And I think you kind of, it's, at the end of the day, it can be six people all around the table who are all strangers to each other, and you just kind of kind of rub along together. I guess mm. take a bit of a read. You know, if you are that player going over the top, and nobody else seems to be coming with you, maybe just hold it back a bit. Mm. I don't know. It's a bit more difficult when you're the player who wants to get down to a serious investigation and four or five others are all throwing custard pies at each other I don't know what you do there really you're just it, in a, the wrong game at that point and there's not they can do about that the trigger point for it seems to be when you meet an NPC so I think as a GM there's a lot you can do to introduce your NPCs into scenes in a way that gets them treated respectfully and I don't mean you know like uh, people bowing and worshipping but I just mean like treating the, the game mechanic respectfully It's it's kind of odd players players do want to act in peculiar ways when they meet new people the one thing you never ever hear a player say is to you what's your name <laughs> or what do they call you and and every gm i know has an npc with a name they've all got names statted out it's one of the hardest things to come up with as a gm you put loads of sweat and effort into giving names to your npcs and no one ever asks them what their name is <laughs> no, <So> the monkeys. <laughs> no they don't but in real life you would ask wouldn't you you'd, you'd, yeah. you'd introduce yourselves a little bit or the npc entering the scene would maybe have a bit of a monologue or hello everybody my name is you know or my friends call me but we we don't do those kind of stuff that we do in social life we don't do it very much in scenes and and be, I think that might lead to an escalation to aggression and threats which seems to be the way that, that some players who are a bit more gonzo minded and yeah fair enough might often say fighter on their sheet whatever the game is but they would react to meeting new people with aggression and hostility uh, and I've had NPCs and I know very well the paragraph underneath them doesn't say anything about secret plots or is going to get the players into trouble or anything else like that they're there to be an assistance or maybe a bit of flavour and they're treated like you know when, when the thing meets Doctor Doom, it's just it's going to escalate into a punch up, and I didn't want one, but it just seems to happen. I don't know yeah. why players do that. Uh, I don't know. It's just one of them. Where one of the sort of character types is um, the gentle giant. However, there'll be a big night merchant, some real fire, and he's supposed to be like not say a lot and actually quite like people and be nice on the inside and all that kind of stuff. But they always turn out like Chewbacca. You know what I mean? Mm. They rip your arms off to win a game of chess or something. You kind of think, where's that come from? Yeah. Why you are our team, that sort of stuff. I think that the converse side of that I've seen, which might make me sound a bit misogynistic or maybe androgynistic, I don't know. But the, the one time I saw it happen really differently was um, I played a game of Blue Planet down at Conception, I think, and uh, there was Claire, uh, a young lady, who was quite new to role playing, but she got uh, one of the face men or the the talky character they got into this sort of Russian mafia nightclub the boss was there he had all these games around him they're all well tilled up and most of the blokes I know and in other games I've played in that very convention in other sense immediately want to like front up to him punch the biggest bounce in the face something of that nature kind of thing but Claire was straight away played the kind of like oh you're so powerful and amazing like oh how can I possibly stand against you and immediately played the kind of like the fall guy and the oh wow and played up to this other guy who's obviously like this power mad Russian goon and just played into his hands in that point of view so to make him think he got what he wanted and it's like mm. yes hooray a, a, an approach that actually sounds like quite feasible and would work have some bonuses of course it works he'll have a Benny yeah. uh, and I think it's uh, a lot of the time with a player it's like thinking how else could you approach it because I'm, I'm I keep falling into the same traps a lot of my characters go very hard ass because you feel like you've got to push the game but 
Yeah, take a breath. Think about how else you could approach something. Yeah, so yeah, think yeah, about, you know, what, what, pulls, the, what does the NPC want? You know, it might not just be a matter of threatening to cut the throat. They might be after something, or there's something you could do for them, or persuade them in some way, or, you know, what other options are on the table besides just pulling your sword? Well, that goes back to the curiosity bit, doesn't it, mate? You know, find out what this NPC wants. And uh, I think finding out what their name is is a big deal because you guarantee in the GM's notes the, the thing that they've got written underneath the name is what they want. <laughs> so there's a sentence there waiting to be revealed. <laughs> and and uh, stabbing said NPC in the face <laughs> within six seconds of meeting him is probably not going to get you to that sentence. Um, and then the next NPC has to come along and it's the return of Sholaf, the sister of the previous NPC, who's got the same information and tries again to give it to you. Um, <laughs> I think you know you've got you've you've always got you, you've got your character sheet, and, and if you're following our advice, I think you've got some agendas you want to pursue. But there's more than one approach as well. I think approach is the word you used. I think it's a really good one. It's how do you approach the situation? Um, and just because you've got a role in your squad or party or whatever, you might not have, but usually you will have. Um, that doesn't mean you have to use that as your approach to everything. It's quite good in classic vanilla fantasy games to do that where you know the wizard is always quite wordy even when they're ordering a meal in a tavern that's quite nice or using magic to sprinkle their salt and pepper on it i like that but it isn't always appropriate when you're a barbarian to treat everything like a barbarian <laughs> so you know <laughs> when in rome or when in a situation have a couple of approaches so you've got some flexibility if for no other reason then it's going to make everybody's game a lot easier if you don't just break everything on seeing it yeah, absolutely. You don't have to be drunk and Conan punching camels out every time you beat something because I'm a barrier. That's that's what I see, actually, is people who've got slightly substandard intelligence on the character sheet are like complete morons. I said, well, you're just not as bright as the wizard or the ranger. You know, you don't doesn't mean you're a complete fool or don't know how to act in social situations. It's got nothing to do with charisma, you know. <laughs> Think of, uh, I don't know, come up with stuff that your clan does or how's your honour measured or some other stuff you know bring some other cool bits into it don't worry about playing yourself down too much or being over the top because that's what your character would do think about what you can bring rather than what you can take away or what you can limit and, and you know what the sort of summary that I'm, I'm building in my head as we talk and it's probably time to start looking to wrap up anyway but I think what we're coming to now is that GMing is probably easier than it looks give it a go you'll learn a lot but you know what? Playing isn't the easy option. It can be. You can sit there and do little, say nothing, and have a nice, safe time and probably spectate. And, and if, if that's what you want to do, then crack on. Um, but there's so much more that we could do. And, and I think the, the GM's lament is the players who didn't get engaged and get involved. And if, if the mental obstacle to that is you think it's someone else's game and you can't mess with it, get that thought out of your head because you will get nothing but thanks for pushing the game forward in an appropriate manner you know the poor old beleaguered GM has got an awful lot going on and all he wants or she wants is for the four or five players to really enjoy the scenario that's laid in front of them whether that be just a single room drama or it might be an overland quest or whatever it is they just want them to love it that's what they want and I hate seeing bored players and thankfully I don't get to see very many these days but you know what it's awful I just want people to enjoy it and the 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 driving seat is very much you when it's your turn to speak so when you've got that steering wheel drive it hard yeah and then pass it over to somebody else and like you know leave them with the foot on the accelerator instead of the foot on the brake no game suffers from too much pace and the players have got as much control over that as anyone if not more because you outnumber that gm so use your power wisely uh, agreed yeah uh, i think if you need help ask for it that might be as a player if you're not sure what to do but it can be in character as well you know what I mean it's a way of getting other characters involved if your character wants something or you just want to give someone else the chance to shine ask their character for help in character to bring more to the story and get other people involved in the game as well so it's not just down to the GM as we've discussed it's down to players to get other players involved and to facilitate other players don't just block them unnecessarily try and support them in their actions or give them opportunities to shine and they should do the same for you and that's all lovely just get stuck in we're all there to game and it's everyone's responsibility to make it fun and you can do you know don't be shy okay so you know good topic 
uh, and one I don't hear discussed enough. Uh, we may return to it. I'd love to hear some comments from people who are out there. Um, I think the vast majority of our audience is going to be GMs because GMs seem to be the people who are taking it all onto their shoulders. And I would love to hear some stuff from players who maybe play more than GM. And, and, and are we talking nonsense? Are we, are we hitting the right tone? Is there stuff that you want us to discuss that we haven't done? You know, we can absolutely return to this subject and it's one I'd love to do because um, I think we've got more mileage in it, to be honest. And um, so get in contact with the various ways. Wherever you see this podcast, there will be a way of getting back in touch with that provider. So do it. Drop us your comments. Uh, drop us your queries. We will get around to doing an email address at some point. I'm sure we will. But until then, thanks very much for listening. Um, any last words, guys? Nope, I think you've pretty much hit it on the head there. It's all a matter of getting involved. And I think the thing probably we might be missing from our point of view is that we're no uh, wallflowers. So if you are a bit quieter, or you perhaps think you struggle to get involved more, or don't see how you can, uh, we'd like to hear about that as well, because we can't speak from that sort of point of view. We're quite loud mouth and bolty when it comes down to it. So if you're not quite as confident as us or mouthy as would be another way of describing it <laughs> what what do you think to this how how would you get involved more do you even want to or are you just quite happy gaming the way you do and that's fine but let us know quiet people speak up <laughs> <laughs> or get a friend to do it for you yeah beautiful okay thanks guys we'll see you next time when we find out what the smart you do about some other issue thank you bye bye Oh, 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 oh,